A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Coronapod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic. We're entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns and we've got a vaccine. Hello and welcome to Coronapod. I'm Noah Baker and joining me this week is a voice you won't have heard, Tosin Thompson. Tosin, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. So for people that don't know you, can you tell us who you are and what it is that you do at Nature? So I am the intern for Nature's News team and I write all sorts of things from climate change to ecology to biochemistry. Yeah, and perhaps unsurprisingly, given that this is Coronapod, one of the areas you've been covering is coronavirus. Now we're going to talk this week about a story that you've written. It's all about HEPA filters. So that stands for high efficiency particle absorbing filters and their use in hospitals. Now I have to say, when I first found out that you were working on this story, I was a little bit surprised that we're sort of two years almost into a pandemic now. And I thought something as commonplace as air filters would have been studied to the hilt. I thought it was quite common knowledge and used quite routinely in hospitals. So I was quite surprised to find out that it wasn't. Yeah. So the study you've covered here is a relatively simple one about the effectiveness of air filters to reduce the transmission of SARS-CoV-2. Tell me, what did the study involve and what were their sort of top line findings? So what these scientists did, they're based in Cambridge. They installed two air filters in COVID general ward and an ICU ward. In week one, the filters were off and they found quite a significant amount of SARS-CoV-2 in the general ward, but not so much in the ICU ward, which was quite surprising. And during week two, the filters were turned on and they found significant reduction in SARS-CoV-2 in the general ward, but none in the ICU ward. Yeah, and we'll get to that difference between the ICU ward and the general COVID ward later on, because that is one of the really interesting outcomes of this study. But first, this clear decrease in circulating SARS-CoV-2 in the general ward that was discovered that did align with laboratory studies that had been done before. One of the really fundamentally important things about this study is it was in a real-world setting rather than in a controlled environment. Tell me, why is that important? If it's done in a controlled environment, we can't be sure that it will be as effective in real life. So to place this experiment in a real-life setting, it obviously validates the results and it also gives real-life patients and healthcare workers a sense of security. Yeah, absolutely, which is fundamentally important. Now, I expected the air filters to do their job 
and reduce the amount of particulates in the air. So that finding wasn't especially surprising to me. But what did stand out to me as surprising was this difference between ICU wards and general COVID wards, in part because you sort of think the place where people are most sick in the intensive care unit is going to be the place where there's the most risk of transmission. But that wasn't what was found. With and without the HEPA filters, there were very few, if any, SARS-CoV-2 particles circulating in the air in those wards. What was the scientists' reaction to that? Do they have any explanation as to why? Well, they too were quite surprised. There could be a number of reasons. It could be that during the later stages of the disease, the virus tends to replicate less and therefore there's less viral shedding. Also, the virus tends to move down the trachea, so it's less likely to be expelled out into the air. And patients are also strapped to ventilators. So the pathogens of the virus is likely to be expelled out into the air. Yeah, and I suppose many ventilators do have the option to have filters built in. So perhaps the HEPA filters are actually doing their job already in those areas. And if not, then I suppose it does make a logical sense that that different phase of illness, which is associated with that more severe disease, does change the dynamics somewhat from a transmission perspective. Nonetheless, the scientists argue that HEPA filters do have an important place, particularly in general COVID wards. Now, I guess I did have a question here about why we might need them, because already PPE, personal protective equipment is used widely in hospitals to reduce the spread and we know that things like masks gowns face shields are really vital to reduce the spread why is it the scientists thought that these air filters might be needed as well well unfortunately they have been reports of healthcare workers contracting covid in hospitals despite wearing the necessary ppe air filters could act as an additional mitigation air filters are very cheap and quite effective and they're actually surprisingly not used very commonly in hospitals. I actually spoke to a source called David Fishman and he gave me some anecdotes actually. Healthcare workers during their off hours or on breaks, they tend to convene in cafeterias or break rooms and that's when they're not wearing masks because healthcare workers also need their downtimes. So it would be a good idea to have air filters sort of placed in areas where healthcare workers do tend to convene and have breaks. And that kind of value, having some additional protection or mitigation in areas where people aren't wearing masks or aren't able to wear masks, is really, really useful. And I guess also points to the efficacy of masks in the first place, which actually leads us on to the second story I wanted to cover this week. So this is a study that actually came out at the beginning of September, but we didn't cover it at the time because we're having a bit of a break from Corona Poly. But I did still think it was worth mentioning whilst we're talking about air filtration and I suppose PPE. And that's because the study was about masks. Now, there is a huge part of me that is loath to mention masks again. We've talked about masks quite a lot on Corona Pod and the debate, or to some extent, I'd say pseudo debate that is still ongoing about mask wearing and the efficacy of mask wearing is something that has frustrated a lot of scientists. But the reason that I thought this particular study was worth mentioning still is that one thing that has been said by people that have been challenging the effectiveness of masks in reducing transmission is that although there has been many, many studies that have shown masks are effective in laboratory trials and in observational studies, there hadn't been a randomised control trial, which is sort of the gold standard trial to really demonstrate the efficacy of masks. And that is what this study that was published at the beginning of September is. It was a large randomised control trial based in Bangladesh, which has been published in a preprint at the beginning of September. And I thought that because this is what people have been calling for, there was value in running through those results real quick. Yes, it was very large. I think 350,000 people were involved. And the idea of the experiment was to have two groups. So you had the 
treatment group and you had the control group. So this trial ran in rural Bangladesh, 350,000 participants, and the control group and the treatment groups are separated geographically. So it was by village. So you'd have a control village and then you'd have a treatment village and so on. And I was interested to read about how they applied the treatment condition versus the control condition. Because, of course, researchers couldn't ban people in one village from wearing masks and mandate people to wear masks in another village. That would be A, impractical, but B, and much more importantly, incredibly unethical. So what they did instead is they introduced a strategy to promote mask wearing in some villages and not in others. And I have to say that part of the study in and of itself I found really fascinating. They actually managed to triple the incidence of mask wearing in the villages where they promoted mask wearing as compared to the control villages, which... I thought was just a particularly interesting sort of insight into the effectiveness of public health campaigns. But for the sake of this study, what they were really interested in is how this differentiation between control and treatment villages affected transmission. And indeed, they did find a significant reduction in areas that had a higher incidence of mask wearing than areas that didn't. Yes. And I think it's also important to note the type of masks. So they found out that wearing surgical masks is far more effective than three-layered cloth masks. Yes, indeed. So the researchers linked surgical masks with an 11% drop in risk compared to just a 5% drop in risk for cloth masks. But I think is another important caveat. Researchers said that it's likely that the impact of masks potentially of both types could be much higher than this in reality because they were only able to track symptomatic cases. So as we know, there are plenty of asymptomatic cases that could have existed that were not caught by this. And secondly, the symptomatic cases they tracked were only those that fit within the World Health Organization's definition of the disease. And we know that COVID-19 can have a really wide spectrum of symptoms, which doesn't necessarily align with that sort of central definition. And so the researchers to say that they think it's very likely they'd missed quite a lot of transmission, which could have revealed a bigger disparity between the treatment and the control groups. Now that differentiation between cloth masks and surgical masks, as well as the findings of the study itself, were also reinforced by a laboratory experiment, which had results summarised in the same preprint. The data for that showed that even after 10 washes, surgical masks were still filtering out 76% of small particles capable of airborne transmission. By contrast, the team found that three-layered cloth masks had a filtration efficiency of just 37% before washing or use. Now, significantly lower, it aligns, that makes sense. But I think it's also important to point out that although the efficacy is lower than surgical masks, it's not no efficacy. In every study, they did find a reduction of transmission. It's just a variation of reduction of transmission. And so I don't think it would be fair to glean from this study that cloth masks aren't useful. It's just that surgical masks are better. When I look back towards the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of contention as to whether face masks were effective and weren't, which to me at the time seemed like a no-brainer but yet we had to confirm it. So although it seems obvious, I feel that having a gold standard really does set a precedent and gives policymakers and governments, I think, more confidence in the science to then mandate the use of those masks. We talk a lot about good data and trying to ensure that the studies that come out are not small scale, that they're appropriately powered, and that there are gold standards that we should reach. And this is the gold standard. Yeah, it puts an end to the conversation, I think, in in an era of misinformation and opinions on mask wearing and COVID-19 in general. I think having this gold standard closes the conversation and we can just mandate it and we wear it when we need to. I hear that. And I think that's probably a good note to end on. Tosin, thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you have a good day. You too. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.